Put the fucking mic on. How we doing, folks? It's your boy, DB Barstool Sports Starting Nine, and you are listening to the End of the Bench. Scoot your ass down. Welcome to episode 119 of End of the Bench. On this episode, we are recapping the World Series. Quick recap, the World Series, Dodgers winning it in six games. The first time they won a World Series since 1988. It's been a long time. We'll get into, of course, the whole situation with Justin Turner testing positive for COVID-19 going on the field. We're also talking about Tony La Russa and A.J. Hinch get jobs uh, like a day after each other. Um, the Tony La Russa one is absolutely like insane of a hiring. doesn't make much sense. I wrote a blog about it yesterday. Um, I'll give you my thoughts on that. And, of course, the biggest news coming from this afternoon, Friday afternoon, is Bill de Blasio bends the knee and they approve billionaire Steve Cohen to buy the Mets at $2.4 billion. Met fans all across New York are probably losing their minds. I listened to the radio before I went on the podcast today, trying to get some insight on some fans and stuff like that, and man, people are going nuts about it. But let me talk about the World Series first. So the Dodgers win the World Series in six games against the Rays. It was a fantastic World Series. You couldn't be happier uh, if you're a baseball fan. Baseball's happy. The front office, hey, look, like the major league, you know, offices and Rob Manfred, they're happy. Like, hey, look, we got a we got a good World Series, six games, the two best teams in each league played each other. It was a match made in heaven in a hellhole of a situation slash season that you know us fans in. Uh, you know, broadcasters or reporters or players have experienced. This is something we will never experience again. Hopefully in 2021, it is extremely different. We're all back at the stadium. Everything's back to normal. We just, you know, got to just pray. It's really what you got to do. You got to just pray. I wrote an article. I didn't write I'll, I'll go to my, uh, my blog post in a second about Turner. But when it comes to this Dodgers team, man, I mean, um, Unbelievable. The postseason is even crazier if you really want to th- if you want to think about it. So the Dodgers offense, right? We've seen guys like Seager and of course Mookie Betts. Bellinger had an unbelievable postseason, robbing home runs, big time clutch homers. Mac- Max Muncie hit a moonshot in the World Series and he pimped it like he usually does. We've seen good pitching. We have Kershaw and Bueller and Julio Urias. Pitch great. Kenley Jansen was like in a little shaky at times, but we saw a lot of good pitching and a lot of good hitting from this team. But the most impressive thing to me, entering game six. So I don't have the updated stats when it comes to uh, this, this little note I'm about to tell you guys. So the Dodgers offense with two outs in the postseason, excluding game six. 59 total runs, which is an MLB record in a single postseason. They batted 354 with runners in scoring position with two outs. And with two strikes in the series, 366 average, four home runs, and 11 dangers. I mean, 11 RBIs, excuse me. Those are video game type numbers. And that was 
the equalizer. Like that was it. That was the thing that put them over the top. Two outs. Now let's talk about game six. Realistically, the Rays were shaped up to win the game. It was a one nothing game off of a Randy Rosarino who, you know, home run who had uh some Barry Bonds type numbers in the postseason during the World Series. Second rookie with three home runs in the World Series. Last player to do that was Charlie Keller in nineteen thirty-nine. And he's the first rookie with an RBI in four consecutive World Series games since nineteen freaking twenty. A Rose Arena, twenty-five years old. He is escaped from Cuba on a raft, right? He was a cardinal for about a hot second. They they released him. He gets COVID. The Rays give him a shot and a trade. Where Jose Martinez was the bigger name of the deal at the time. Martinez doesn't even make the playoff roster. He just, I don't I don't even know if he's still like um, like part of the Rays organization. I don't even know, but. A Rosary becomes this larger-than-life hero for the Rays, and he's going to be a household name for the Rays for the next 10 years if it all goes well. But for this Game 6 game, Blake Snell was on. He was dealing. Dealing. It didn't make much sense for what Kevin Cash did. He took him out. Why would he take him out? Doesn't make any sense to me. His reasoning was Snell isn't good when he faces the, the that same order or a order in the batting order for the third time around. He he can't do it. He's had some unlucky success. I mean, unlucky um uh, not success, unlucky you know moments. We've also just like, you know, I, I kept, I, I tweeted out all the time. I, I did like polls on Twitter. I'm like, is he going to pass five innings? Because that's what he never did. He never went past five innings because that third time in the order always rocked him. So, yeah, the analytics part, right? Andrew Freeman, who is is the president of the, um, I just want to make president of baseball operations for the Dodgers, has done a, yeah. That's all I'm correct. I just want to know his, his exact title. Pay, President of Baseball Operations for the Dodgers was once with the Rays, and he helped them turn the corner to becoming a playoff team, entering the World Series one time before in 2008, becoming a cornerstone franchise with guys like Evan Longoria and then the Carl Crawford days, and then he left to you know, the Red Sox. But like Jason, the James Shields and the Max Garzas, then turning into this team who had a ridiculous pitching set. Like what I'm saying is, is that Freeman loves analytics, right? He brought he brought that to the Rays, and once he left, the Rays kept using the analytic based uh, play of like the, that's how they usually win, right? They never really have the biggest names, they don't have the biggest players, but they use the analytics to win games, and they've had a lot of success over the years. But what I'm afraid baseball is going into a path that I think a lot of people are afraid of. People are becoming afraid that the analytics are taking over the game to a point where managers are choosing to go with the nerds, the the numbers, rather than your gut. And that's what we saw in game six 
when Kevin Cash pulled Blake Snell. That's exactly what he did. In times like that, you see a guy who's dealing. His pitch count is low. I guarantee you Snell could have won at least seven or maybe even eight innings. I think he could have won eight easily. He would have hit the 90-100 mark easily. He was mowing down everybody. Bro, he was facing the top of the order, which they were over with a bunch of Ks. But Kevin Cash saw the analytics and said, I'm going to take him out. You know, here's, a, here's a number I found. I, I tweeted this the other day. Does this sound like overmanaging? Question mark. This was just after they took him out. Kevin Cash took out Snell, who's a lefty. You guys remember that. Betts versus lefties has a 218 average. And Snell was dominating all night. He brings in a righty and Nick Anderson. And Nick Anderson's also given up a run in six straight postseason appearances. I mean, Nick Anderson, a 0.55 ERA in the regular season. Probably the best reliever in all of baseball, right? You can you can argue for the regular season. Postseason, he wasn't there. This is overmanaging. The basis of of baseball and how unique it is, how long it's been around, is that you can you can look at two managers and see how they coach, right? The guys I usually go with their gut and they just kind of are witnessing the moment right in front of them and saying, you know what, look, we're gonna go with our guy. He's dealing. Those are the managers that really, I don't know, have success in their career. But this is a one of the worst base World Series moments of all time. We all remember what you know Grady Little did in the postseason with with Pedro Martinez, leaving him in there 125 pitches. He gets shelled, should have taken him out. This is the opposite. You don't take out Blake's now. I think he had like 73 pitches when he got taken out. Ruined, his, ruined the game. They scored, they scored a run. Moments later, Betts didn't buy himself, scored. But this is exactly what overmanaging looks like. And it cost the race a World Series. Now I'll talk about how, how happy Dodger fans are, right? 1988. Kurt Gibson, first the Oakland A's, last time the Dodgers won a ring. It's about time. This team has had, in the last, they've won eight straight division titles. Three of them with Don Mattingly, and then the last five straight NL West titles have been with Dave Roberts. So here's Dave Roberts' um, career numbers here as a manager. With the Dodgers. Five straight NL West titles. 436 wins. 273 losses. That's incredible. 2016 Manager of the Year. Three NL pennants. But lost in 2017 and 2018 World Series. 2017 and 2018. Big asterisk to it. Red Sox won. It's iffy, but definitely there. But, the, the you know, the Astros 17 with the Astros, you know. Cheated. So now it's the Dodgers' turn. Now the big question 
the biggest question, if the Dodgers end up losing game six and seven, right? They lost the World Series. They lost another one. What do they do? They've been to the World Series three of the last four years. They haven't won anything. Dave Roberts is a very good, great regular season manager, but he can't do anything the postseason. What do you do? I guarantee you, if they lost this World Series, Dave Roberts would be on the hot seat. I know it sounds crazy. Been to the World Series three times. Won division titles the last five years in a row. But you, this, this, this team was a lot different than the two other two World Series teams solely because of one player. It's Mookie Betts. You had Mookie Betts in the top of that lineup with Bellinger, Muncy, Seager, Pollock, Jock Peterson, who played great. Kike Hernandez played great in the World Series. So you had a lot of talent throughout the lineup. And then you add Mookie Betts. If he lost this World Series, Dave Roberts, I'm telling you right now, he would be on the hot seat, and I think it would be a lot hotter than people think. I think he could have lost his job because you look. If you lost your third World Series in four years, you were gonna you're you've entered the the Buffalo Bills category where they lost in the '90s when they lost four straight Super Bowls, right? You had Jim Kelly, one of the best quarterbacks in, during his time. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't win. One Super Bowl, couldn't win one. So this is, now the narrative's changed. He won a World Series. He's a lifer. He's a great manager. They're the, uh, the odds of them to win the World Series again for next year, they are the favorites. But we'll have to see what happens in the, in the offseason for other teams. But the unfortunate story that almost became the main story of this. Oh, I need to add one more thing before I get to Justin Turner. Clayton Kershaw. You got to be happy for anybody to win a ring was just, I mean, was Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw's highlights and awards here. Let me list off some. Eight-time All-Star, three-time Cy Young, three-time NL winner, uh, NL wins leader, five-time NL ERA leader. He won the NL Strikeout Leader Award three times. An NL MVP, a Triple Crown winner, Roberto Clemente Award winner, and maybe the best no-hitter of all time. Could have been a perfect game, but Hanley Ramirez has been in error. And you have all these awards, right? He's a no-doubter Hall of Famer. We Everyone knows that. But the one thing, this bugaboo, the monkey that was on his back, was this World Series ring. Will he ever get one? Has he had some really good postseason moments? Sure. He's had some couple. But usually, in many cases, any player in any sport, you're going to look at the negative more than the positive. Right? It's just how it goes. It's how the media creates these narratives, and it just happens. But he's had some horrible outings in the postseason and World Series. And he also has had his fair share of good ones. This postseason, a different animal. In the World Series, he was 2-0. Two, two Freaking got two of the four wins. Killed it. And he also, I think, he went 4-1 and one in the postseason altogether. So this is what you wanted out of, your, out of the best pitcher of my generation. There's, you can put the debate that, is it Verlander? Is it Scherzer? Is it Kershaw? I got to say Kershaw. Verlander's 
a tick behind him. They got the World Series MVP. They both have MVPs. They have the Cy Youngs. They have the no-hitters. I think Kershaw has three no-hitters. But, like, Kershaw, he got it. Now, for the rest of his career, he's 13 years in. For the rest of his career, he can relax. Go out and and go compete for some more. But you got the hardest thing. The hardest thing for you to get, you got it. You got to be fucking goddamn happy about that. I am so happy. That's why I was rooting for the Dodgers. I was a Dodger. I actually said Dodgers in six and Mookie Betts MVP. I got the MVP wrong, but I got the the game and the winner called on the podcast. You can go look at the go look and listen to the last podcast. But let me talk about the. It was almost like it overshadowed the World Series. Was Justin Turner testing positive for COVID nineteen? So let me backtrack here. I'm going to read what I wrote in my article here because I have all the information here. So in the second inning of game six, L.A. Dodgers third base when Justin Turner tested positive for COVID-19, but he still played until he was taken out in the top of the eighth inning. So the guy's tested positive. Not good. So what do you do? So Turner was tested positive before the game, like everyone else does. Everybody gets tested positive. I mean, not tested positive. Everyone gets tested thoroughly before the game. Every single time. And I think after the game as well. Major League Baseball wanted to test him again since, you know, unfortunately there's there's these situations when a false positive comes out and you just want to double check and make sure everything's okay. So they did a, a second test and... It wasn't a false positive. It came out positive. So this one horrible situation, who's to blame here? Is it Justin Turner, Major League Baseball, or is it the Dodgers? I kind of broke it down from each one. So I started with, let's talk about Major League Baseball. Rob Manfred and the MLB are in some serious trouble. And for that, you know, there is there is an issue where, like, where is the responsibility? Where is it? Why aren't you taking responsibility for this? I mean, Manfred released a statement on this whole issue saying that the decision to enter the field was wrong and put everyone at risk. Well, no shit. But what did you do to keep him in isolation, right? So Major League Baseball found out again that he tested positive. So they threw his ass in an isolation room. But he still played from the second inning on to the eighth, into the top of the eighth where he got taken out. I think Edwin Rios came in and Kike Hernandez pitched hit for him. Whatever. But how do you not keep him in the isolation room? He's like, you know what? Screw that. I'm, I'm going out there and I'm, hang, I'm hanging, hanging out with my team. Now, all of COVID, right? We had um, during the baseball season, we had some big scares with the Cardinals. Cardinals barely played 30 games or so. I don't remember what it was. They, I think they played 35 or 40 games or something. Um, but you had the Marlins who had some big scares. I mean, they really screwed up big time. But when the postseason started, they did a really good job of containing teams. I thought it was really suspect to even start uh, the wild card series at uh, some of the major league stadiums, like the Yankees and the, uh, not the Yankees. Like I'm saying, like other teams um, that got to play at their home ballparks because they had like the you know 
the better record. I thought that was very odd. Like the Marlins and Cubs play in the wild card series. I thought it was very weird. I don't know why you didn't do a, you know, a same kind of uh, bubble system early on, but they didn't. Anyway, the whole postseason, they did a freaking fantastic job of containing, testing, making sure all the players were fine. It was weeks and weeks and weeks of no positive tests. And then it happens. I mean, they were right out of the gate. Like, they were right there. The game was over. You go home. But then this happens. And it was a horrible, horrible look. But, like, the weirdest thing from this is, like, Manfred on the podium delivering the World Series trophy and delivering the MVP trophy to Seager and talking to Tim uh, um, uh, Tom Ferducci. He... Like he's he was either like drunk, um, like on some drugs, or he had like some mental like like mental or head or uh, like health issue, because he didn't wasn't didn't sound good, but I think he was also rattled because everybody was booing him. Which, if you're um if you listen, if you listen to the podcast, I'm not a fan of Rob Manfred, and um well yeah I I think it was very well um. Suited. It was great timing, by the way. But with with Justin Turner, he kind of said, "You know what? Fuck it. I'm not going. I'm I'm not staying in here. I'm going out." Didn't want to stay in the isolation room. Instead, he went on the field to celebrate. Now, look, what he did was bad, right? There's photos and videos of him taking pictures and kissing his wife on the lips, no mask on, being next to some of his teammates, what have you. He did tweet during the time when he was in isolation saying, thanks to everyone reaching out. I feel great. No symptoms at all. Just experience every emotion you can possibly imagine. Can't believe I couldn't be out there to celebrate with my guys. So proud of this team and unbelievable happy. Unbelievably happy for the city of LA. Hashtag World Series champs. What I think he should have done. I'll tell you like. Devil's advocate in a second. But what I think he should have done was, I heard this on the radio, and I heard, I was like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Imagine he stayed in the isolation room, right? And he goes live on Instagram. Kind of does his own thing, right? Got, you know, you got, you know, tens of thousands of people watching his IG live. Maybe, they, maybe like, Fox Sports can, you know, punch in and grab him on, on FaceTime in the isolation room, saying, hey, look, I'm all good, just being safe out here. You know, I'm in the isolation room with my wife. I have COVID, but I'm totally fine. Just got to be safe. It would have been a great PR look for the Dodgers. Great look on Justin Turner. Great look on Major League Baseball. It would have been perfect. But look, let me play devil's advocate here. So you have Justin Turner. He has COVID. He just won the World Series. He worked his entire life to get to this point. He was with the Orioles and Mets and didn't pan out. Dodgers gave him a shot. He took it and ran with it, became an all-star, one of the nicest and all-around good players and good people person, too, in the sport. To not celebrate on the field with his teammates and not be there to hold the trophy up in his arms, it's tough to deal with. And I somehow like kind of understand where where he's coming from. Because he did it. 
But could he have handled it better? 100% absolutely. What he should have done, wear a mask on the field the entire time. Don't take it down. You're taking pictures with a team, and you're, you're next to Dave Roberts, who's a cancer survivor, high risk with his age. You know, he's at risk. And then when you hold the trophy, you wear gloves. When you're out there with your mask and gloves on, not, don't be 6 feet away. Be 12 feet away. Go the extra mile. Be isolated by yourself on the in the open field. That's what I would have done. Take your pictures. Enjoy with your, your teammates, what have you, right? So you say, hey, Taylor, well, he'll put his teammates at risk. Very true. But what's also the fact is, is that his whole team tested negative, and he was the one that tested positive, but they all are hanging out together every day. They're in the locker room. They were in high-fiving, all that stuff, hugging prior to like finding out that he got COVID. So it's a very weird situation, right? It's very weird. It, it, like, it's, it sucks, right? You know what? It's just, it's just a very weird Weird situation. Now, what happens if the Dodgers lost the game, right? They lost the game. The series is tied up. They go to seven games. What would happen after finding out Turner has COVID? Well, game seven would be pushed back at least a week, maybe a week and a half. Both teams, I would say just for safety reasons, both teams would have to be tested every single day until every single player and coach tested negative. Imagine if this happened. This would be an absolute disaster. If this happened. Now, President of Baseball Operations Andrew Freeman said that the Dodgers will undergo more rounds of testing with players and their families now that COVID has entered the bubble. Still unclear when the teams might leave. This was the other day, but if they're both out, they're fine. They're all home. Um, now, something to take into account when it comes to this uh, situation that it wasn't just the Dodgers fans and staffers, like coaches and personnel, whatever, on the field. You had family members, MLB officials, and others that joined the celebration, so they all have to get tested too. So, like, during the time, so the Dodgers won the World Series. Turner got COVID. All this happened in, like, 15 hours. Absolutely insane. Now, I wrote my article. I said, what will we hear more? Will we hear more about positive tests throughout the Dodgers organization? Will Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball get the blame for this situation? So many questions left unanswered. But we're, we're hearing answers, and not a lot of people are liking them. But I would have to say, this World Series, this whole baseball season is unbelievable. It's absolutely crazy how awesome it was. You saw a lot of ups, a lot, a lot of downs, players getting COVID. You saw a lot of players, promising players, come out of nowhere with a Rosarina just taking the whole world by storm. The Dodgers win the World Series. You had epic collapse, like the Cubs losing to the Marlins, the team out of nowhere. You had the hated Astros, an under 500 team, nine games won on the road. They steamroll past the Twins. They they, they freaking, they, God, it's so aggravating. They steam past the freaking A's, and they are one game away from the World Series, coming back from 3-0 to tie it up at 
Game 7 against the Rays, and the Rays beat them. But what I'm saying is all these storylines, all these amazing moments, we got to see it. That's unbelievable stuff. 2021 is going to be a better season. I'm praying it is. I'm so hyped for the offseason. Award season is right around the corner. I think next Tuesday or next Wednesday we're finding out uh, gold gloves. Um, I, the gold glove winners, I wrote an article about that already. Um, let's go out. You know what? I'm, I'm going to take a quick break. That's a lot of baseball talk. More baseball talk coming up in just a minute after we hear an ad from our boys and girls at at Anchor. We're talking Bill de Blasio versus Steve Cohen. We're talking Tony La Russa and A.J. Hinch get new jobs as new managers in the bigs. All that and more when we come back after this quick break. Let's talk about Bill de Blasio, New York City mayor, officially approves billionaire Steve Cohen of the $2.4 billion purchase of the New York Mets. New York City now has no objection for Steve Cohen to purchase the Mets after Bill de Blasio was trying to stop it. He was privately like, just like, hey, look, I'm, I'm, he, look, Bill de Blasio, if you don't know, New York City mayor. Is he a fan favorite? Absolutely not. The guy is hated by just about every single New Yorker. You can talk to, you talk to any New Yorker. You pass a New Yorker, you ever meet a New Yorker in the next day or two. Or whatever. You say Bill de Blasio, the first thing they're going to say is, like, either terrible mayor, asshole, asshole, terrible mayor. Kind of like the same thing. So he was bad. And he wants to make things, like, a lot worse. So he went out, talked privately to Major League Baseball, that he will do everything he can to stop Steve Cohen from buying the Mets. So the Post had learned from... The commissioner's office, Rob Manford, early in the month and told him outright that he opposed the idea of the hedge fund billionaire to buy the local team, the New York Mets, and would be using his oversight of power of the city's control of the city field lease to prevent the sale from being finalized. Now, like the reasoning like for this, he it was like doing like a, a favor. It was really weird to know what he was coming from. He can't do Steve Cohen can't buy this because he's a, he's a, you know, he got arrested and he's a felon, whatever. It's not like a hundred percent true. Anyway, he wanted his boy, a rod to buy the team. A rod has been trying for, Oh, geez. It seems like it sounds like 10 years, but it's been months upon months of trying to buy the team and he couldn't do it. Just could not get it together. Could not do it. This was like a way for him, the final last straw, that he could help out A-Rod to buy the Mets. And nothing happened. Finalized today. Your New York Mets fans, Steve Cohen, your Lord and Savior, is here. There's a lot of free agent options. He's the, He is loaded 
the Mets payroll is probably going to be higher than the Dodgers in about two years because this guy, Steve Cohen, is going to break the bank on any f- incoming free agent. When it, when it comes to free agents, man, he's going to go balls to the freaking wall. You have Lindor out there. You got LeMahieu. You got Real Muto. You got Springer. You got Bauer. You got Kluber, who just announced he'll go to a free agent. There's a lot of options. For the Mets, they need a catcher. Go get Real Muto. He's going to cost a lot, but the Mets got money now, boy. Go get Real Muto. I'd say go get Bauer if you can. Add him to the DeGrom and the Syndergaard 1, 2, 3. Freaking, like, I'm just like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think like right now, like any other players. You have those freaking three. I couldn't even get the words out. As you can see, I'm like stumbling my words. You would have those three. Remute behind the plate. The lineup was freaking stacked. It was just the pitching was god awful. I mean, Edwin Diaz, it's like you got to hold your breath every time he goes on the mound because he thinks it'll blow the game. But the whole moral of the story here is, is that Bill de Blasio, once again, fails. He fails yet again, and all of New York hates the guy. Look, I'm a, I'm a Yankee fan, man. I'm happy for the Mets. Maybe they can start competing in the in the National League East. Look, the Marlins came out of nowhere. Would they be a playoff team in a 162-game season? No. Absolutely not. You're the Nationals, who are legit went backwards from 2019 winning the World Series to being a horrible team in 2020. The Braves are going to be your tough spot there, kids. The Braves are tough. The Braves are going to be that tough squad. And the Phillies, they're like trying their best to win. And they're also trying their hardest to freaking like they're just they try so much to win. They just keep losing games. Losing Real Muto next year would be a tough loss for the Phillies. But Mets gaining him would be amazing. But they have the right guy now. They have the right guy. The Mets finally have an owner that wants to win. The Wilpons didn't seem like they wanted to win. They just wanted to make money. And what's funny is if you win, you also make money. So there you go. That's one big news I got to say right there for the first five minutes. Uh, the next part, the next two parts, probably go fairly quick with the new hirings of Tony Larusa and AJ Hinch. Tony Larusa, if you don't know him, Hall of Fame manager, seventy-six years old, ton of experience, coached the White Sox years past. I'll get into that in a second. World Series championships up the wazoo. 2006, 2011, won a couple with uh, the Oakland A's with the Bash Bros and Ricky Henderson, McGuire, Conseco. Had a good, has, he's coached really good teams over the years. But they announced, the, the Chicago White Sox announced the other day that they hired the three to- third winningest pitcher in Major League Baseball history, three-time World Series champ, four-time manager of the year, Tony La Russa, as the new manager for the Chicago White Sox. What? You had A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora out on the market, right? And there's other options, too. But why Tony La Russa? La Russa hasn't managed a game since 2011 he's been in the front office of certain ball clubs right overseeing special advisors sometimes whatever but he hasn't been a manager 
since 2011. So, Larusa has history with the White Sox. 1979 to 1986, he has a 522 wins, 510 losses, just above 500 in his career as a White Sox manager. And he went to the playoffs one time during that span in 1983 when they won, they won, uh, and went in first place. She was like, "Huh? Why? This is a really interesting signing, right?" Yeah, yeah. Other options out there. We'll get to the uh, Rick Renta reifying. I didn't agree with that. So, I went on to the the the, the amazing uh, app called Twitter and saw what fans' reactions were. And I read articles, and it says that you know fans' reactions, of course, hated it. But what was really interesting is the the White Sox employees didn't like the move. So I wrote I wrote my um my blog go to end of the bench blog wp dot wordpress dot com. You can read this Tony La Russa blog and the yeah that's most most recent blog. I'll probably write a blog soon. Um, I'm kind of crafting the Dusty Baker blog uh, about his legacy, whatever. Um, so here's the interesting thing. So. A number of the employees stated, you know, um, off the record, they didn't like it because they don't know if he could connect with the young players on this White Sox roster, right? So clearly this wasn't, this was, I mean, look, of course, the owners always have the right to, um, to the hirings and signings of players and managers, right? But what's really interesting is that, like, you could definitely tell this is just a Jerry Reinsdorf decision. Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, stated many times over the years that he's regretted firing Larusa back in '86. He was a young, kind of inexperienced manager, didn't really know how to, to, you know, still learning the ropes. Right? He regretted it. He still he stated it even today. He's regretted it. But what was interesting was is that. Nobody else got an interview. I had to take a pause because I'm still shocked by that. Nobody else got an interview for this. AJ Hinch, no. Alex Cora, no. Nobody else. Now, of course, Hinch has had a troubled past, sign-stealing scandal, and um, but it seemed like a better fit because if you look at Hinch's past history with managing with the with the Houston Astros, he's had to manage some young, up and coming successful players. Guys like Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, George Springer. So you have a lot of young guys, Lance McCullers, coming through the system and playing a very young age, the bright lights, going to the postseason, he knows how to do this. I'm not saying AJ Hinch is better than Little Russo as a manager. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Hinch is a younger guy who's coached young players and can relate. But they went with the older manager. Now, like with connecting with the young players of this White Sox team, could that be an issue? It's extremely important for a manager nowadays to connect with the young, up-and-coming players. This team is a young team. This team has a ton of personality. We all know Tim Anderson loves to do bat flips. We know Jose Abreu always rocking the chain real low. And Eloy Jimenez loves having about six buttons unbuttoned on his t-shirt, on his jersey, excuse me, and have that V-neck showing. But will he actually understand that part of the game or will he not adapt? Now you're probably thinking, Taylor, 
do you remember who he managed in the past? I'm like, of course I do, guys. Russo managed some of the biggest personalities in baseball history. Let's start off with um, Ricky Henderson. I'm going to do the home run shots. Talk, you know, we spoke in third person. What about the Bash brothers, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco? He has experience. But that's when he was a young manager, too. He's older now. He's kind of stated that he is a old-school mentality. He he has and will always will be the unwritten rules guy. There is unwritten rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. So there's that part of it, right? That's the, that's the Tony La Russa side getting hired. But here's the side that I don't get at all, okay? The Chicago White Sox, right in the beginning of this of their offseason, when they were knocked out of the postseason, right? They fired or they agreed to part ways with their manager, Rick Renteria. Renteria spent the past four seasons at the White Sox manager. Record doesn't really show great numbers, 236 wins, 309 losses. But this past season is the first time since 2008 they made the postseason. Now that they well, they lost early exit two to one in the wild card series against the Oakland A's, could that been of a reason why they could let him go? Was there a reason because he? Um, hmm, I really can't think of anything. Was it maybe kind of having this weird collapse towards the end of the you know end down the stretch end of the season? Was it uh, his overall decision making skills as a manager? Nobody really knows. Because he was a fan favorite. He was beloved by players. He was beloved by his other coaching, coaching uh, coaches on his coaching staff. He was spoken highly of by everybody. But you know what was really interesting was during the 2020 season, you saw a team rapidly change from a slow rebuilding team to a first place contending roster with a ridiculous amount of talent. The White Sox went 23 and 6 during the midseason. And at one point, had the best record in the AL. So it doesn't really make much sense to me. They added a bunch of guys in the offseason to make this team better. They added Yasmani Graudel. They added Dallas Keuchel last year or two. They've added Edwin Encarnacion. They added Gio Gonzalez. They brought up Lewis Roberts. So they had enough talent. And they were making strides to... You know, I didn't. I you know, I said a couple of years ago to um, when I was working with the Twins, I said this White Sox team, give it two three years, this team's going to be competing for a AL Central title, without a doubt. And they did this year. And I honestly thought, look, the twenty twenty season, this could be a coming out coming out party for the White Sox. Do they make the postseason? This was before COVID and stuff like that. I said, do they make the postseason? Do they? You know, they're, they're competing with the Twins and the Indians for the either a wild card spot or winning the, the AL Central. But this postseason made it very easy for them to make the postseason. But honestly, as the season was going on, I thought this team had a shot of winning the AL Central. The Twins, you know, the Twins, you know, they, they took ahead and they won the Central. They played great down the stretch. White Sox didn't. But I'll never really understand what the reasoning behind this was. Now, this is what the organization said um, when they fired him. They let him go. 
whatever you want to say. Ultimately, I think the best candidate or the ideal candidate is going to be someone who has experience with championship organizations in recent years. Recent October experience with the championship organization, he said. This was, I think, I think it was uh, White Sox general manager Rick Hahn talked to reporters about that on uh, the day he, the day they let go um, Rick Renteria. And they also let go longtime pitching coach Don Cooper, who has been a part of the team since 2002. So at the end of the day, I don't like the signing. Larusa doesn't need to manage this team. He really doesn't. Larusa would be better off with a young and inexperienced team that needs a little kick in the ass, right? To get you know, you guys are better than this. Let's fucking get it going. Get a little kick in the ass, maybe that will work. The game has dramatically changed since 2011. The 2021 White Sox team is going to be extremely interesting to watch. I just thought that was very interesting kind of, uh, of like, it really just came out of nowhere. There was, like, the rumors past the days prior, or like, the days before. We're like, is this really going to happen? You know, is this really going to happen? And it did. And when I mentioned A.J. Hinch, today, the Detroit Tigers, another AL Central team, named A.J. Hinch as their new manager, giving him a second chance at managing in the major leagues after his stealing sign-stealing scandal with the Astros in 2017. Hinch will uh, replace his longtime Twins manager, and I think he managed a couple seasons with the Tigers, Ron Gardenhire, who retired late this season in taking over this rebuilding Tiger team who has, uh, this team has a lot of highly touted pitching prospects and uh, other prospects, like hitting prospects, like the number one overall pick in last year's draft, Spencer Torkelson. You have right-hander Casey Mize, who's the top overall pick in 2018, who reached the majors this year and played pretty well. Look, the Detroit Tigers went 23-35 and 35 in the shortened season. They were not good. Finished last place in the AL Central. It's like, you know, it's been pretty familiar the past couple of seasons since they kind of broke everything down with, you know, J.D. Martinez was gone. Prince Fielder's gone. Verlander's gone. So they're kind of like breaking down the entire team. But in recent years, they've been freaking horrible. I mean, last year they lost 114 games. But the last couple of seasons, they've been able to pick up some high draft picks. And hopefully they become the Tiger team many of us have seen um, early on in the 2000s, uh, early, like late in the 2000s and into this new uh, decade, right? We saw a Tiger team that competed every single year and now they've been horrible. But look, A.J. Hinch is going gonna to be, I think, a great manager for this team. Is he a good manager? I think, or I really think he does. I really think he is a good manager. He knows how to coach. He knows how to talk to the boys. And he knows how to manage in a 2020, 2020, 2021 era of baseball, which is analytically based. And also you got to go with your gut. So that's the main moral of the fucking podcast. Always go with your gut, no matter if it's baseball or if it's life. So that's the end of the podcast. Uh, next podcast, we're going to get more into the award season. I'm going to write blogs about that. Um, and then I'm thinking what I write some blogs about free agency, What's going to happen upcoming in this offseason? I'm going to talk about more of the NFL soon. I just wanted to get this was a huge podcast on baseball. I know I got to talk more about the NFL. I haven't really talked much in the last, I don't know, 
three or four podcasts, I want to say. I want to say right now, I got I to gotta double check what we got here on the Potty Pod. Um, as uh, my favorite comedian, um, Andrew Santino says, Andrew Santino would say Potty Waddy. So, yeah, I think the last time I talked football was, I actually talked football um episode 117. I talked about college football, Oklahoma Sooners, but mostly baseball the last, Jesus, since September 18th was mostly baseball. I think it was, or September, October 2nd. So this postseason's over, baseball season's over. Um, unbelievable season. So let's talk off season next time. Um, all right. If you want to read some of my blogs, end of the bench blog wp.wordpress.com. You find all my blogs, mostly baseball, you know, throwing around some Oklahoma blogs here and there. Um, you can also find the end of the bench podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I also post any interviews we had in the past. You can go check my YouTube page. It's called Just Look Up Taylor Ringgold on YouTube. You will find all of our past interviews with guests like L. Duncan and Michael Eaves and Gab Gowdy. All your favorites are on there working. I've been, look, have I put out a, a, a guest in a while? It's been kind of tough. The last month or so, I haven't put out a, a guest. But, kids, I'm working on some big, big names. Now, I've said it before. You, I've come out, you know, said like, oh, yeah, well, we got some big guests. And sometimes I don't come up clutch. And sometimes I do. But I'm working on some big names, some retired players, some guys that are in the media. Some, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to work. We're trying to get the shit done. All right. We're trying to get it done. So that is another bomb episode. Episode 119 is in the books. We'll catch you on the next episode. Episode 120. Yeah, fairly soon. All right. Wear a mask. Stay safe. Go vote. Talk to you guys later. Peace. Cause all these hoes know what's about to come